You're listening to How Do You Decide with Megan Stafford, a podcast that explores how the decisions we make shape us, the crossroads, the difficult choices, and how sometimes the smallest decisions can have the biggest impact. Join me as I meet everyday Aussies and find out about their lives, the decisions that changed them, and how they coped along the way. This week on the podcast... I did think about it from time to time, how will I cope? How will I cope without him to make some of the bigger decisions on the property, etc.? How will I cope with these things? But I think you become so busy when you're looking after someone who's quite ill. That's Robin Russell. What you heard just then was Robin talking about dealing with the death of her husband, Reed, who died of brain cancer in 2011. There is sadness in Robin's story, yes. There is also hope, humour, and an insightfulness into the reality of life not turning out exactly as you thought it would. Robin grew up on Charlotte Plains, near Kunnamulla in southwest Queensland. The property has been in her family now for 100 years. A century of ownership with Robin at the helm. Not the whole time, of course. It's not the first time she's been the sole operator keeping Charlotte Plains running. Indeed, when Reed was alive, both he and Robin spent four years running their family operations Robins at Charlotte Plains and Reeds at Plain Creek, south of Charters Towers, separately and together. There's a bit of distance between the two places, but they were determined to make it work, and they did. Charlotte Plains is the backdrop for a lot of this conversation. It was where Robin first met Reed, where their romance blossomed and waned and blossomed again over a seven-year courtship, and it's been the predominant place she's called home for her plus 70 years. It's also quite literally the backdrop for part of our conversation as I visited Robin there and was lucky enough to get a tour. For sharp listeners, you are correct in thinking Charlotte Plains was featured in a recent season of Farmer Wants a Wife. In this conversation, we talk about Robin's two great loves, Reed and Charlotte Plains. We also talk about Robin's time travelling overseas in her 20s and a heads up, it's not the story of a global jaunt we are used to today. We talk about life away from the land, struggling with succession, and how Robin bought her first home by door knocking in the neighbourhood. This conversation was recorded at my grandmother Jacey's home. You might hear from time to time a drawer open, the ting of cutlery. You see, Jacey is the best and was making Robin and I lunch while we sat and talked. You'll also hear birds, chooks and a bit of wind when we hit Kanamala. Storms were rolling in both days I met Robin, so may the sounds bring on some more rain. Robin Russell. I was born into the property my uh, mother met my father in Sydney, a long way from Kunnamulla, and uh, they married and uh, were living on Charlotte Plains. And then I was born in Sydney and taken back over those rough roads uh, to uh, the property. That's where I was brought up. And so was it your father or his father that had settled at Charlotte Plains originally? Um, yeah, it was um, my grandfather, that's my father's father. My father was Gordon Nagel and his father was Arthur Bernard Nagel. And so how did he get, come out to Charlotte Plains? Was he from Sydney originally? Arthur, do you know? Um, no, he was around the Toowoomba area, but he did have uh, quite an affiliation with, with Sydney. He did live some of his time there. Unfortunately, I never met him. He was, he was uh, deceased before uh, my parents uh, married. So, so um, you know, it's only later on I've heard all these stories about him. 
uh, but he, he came and uh, bought up considerable land, 385,000 acres in wow. those days. Um, and this is the early 20s, early, 1920s? Yes, the early, early 20s. When you grew up, did you expect that you would come back to the property one day or no? Um, I, I guess you used to think that uh, it'd go on and on and that, that you would because uh, I lived a younger life there, sort of coming home from boarding school and, and uh, then working and training and doing all sorts of things and coming and going. You just didn't think about it, it not being there for you, the property, you know. So I did expect to, although we went through a lot of hardships with droughts, etc and uh, financial difficulties. So, you know, I began to wonder as I got a little bit older. Um, we've managed to retain it, but uh, uh, my husband was of the character that he didn't ever want to go there, just be working there and us a, as a couple on the place that we might, we might all come to blows. So yeah. he, we stayed away and then we went uh, north after we were married. Yeah, so what was his name? Reed, Reed Russell. Reed Russell. Mm -hmm. And so where did you meet Reed? Oh, well, that's a, that's a funny story, actually. He was coming out to Cunnamulla and going along our, our road by Charlotte Plains and he lost his dog off the back of the ute. So uh, <laughs> he came into the homestead looking for his dog, asking had we uh, seen his dog. and. Uh, at the time, it was nearly lunchtime, and my father said, would you like to come in for lunch? Oh, yes, he would. Meanwhile, I was out mustering. One of the few times that I was allowed out, because in those days, you didn't go out with the ringers or the station hands and go mustering. This, these days, it doesn't matter, but yeah. um, it was very protected. Uh, but I was out mustering, and I'd been thrown by my freshly broken-in horse. I had prickles all through my backside. <laughs> I walked into the dining room and thought, wow, he's nice. <laughs> and uh, then uh, before he left, my father offered him a job and said, Would we just need an overseer at the moment. Would you be interested in a position? And, wow, um, he must have really impressed over lunch. He must have, must yeah. have held his knife and fork correctly. And <laughs> So, um, did he ever find the dog? I can't remember that. That wasn't important. <laughs> he was more. He was more important than the jolly dog. <laughs> uh, that dog it yeah. served its purpose. It served its purpose, didn't that's it? That's right. That's right. So Reed did come to Charlotte Plains, and he was at the property for about nineteen months, something like that, working. Yeah. And then he uh, went off uh, and travelled overseas. So at that time, had you had any inkling of a relationship or purely uh, flirtatious? Um, yes, just a little bit flirtatious, but um, uh, Reed was, was fairly um, uh, of the old school and had been brought up to, uh, you mustn't take the boss's daughter out. <laughs> yeah. And so um, he didn't. But after a while, it became a little tedious because we'd both be invited to the same parties in the region, you know, and you do 80 kilometres or 100 kilometres to a party and we'd be driving separate cars. Just so because he just was like, 
you, you can't fraternise. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. You're alone in a car well, Yeah, together. well, it might have been leave, leaving his opportunities open, you know, to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to meet others. But I eventually said, this is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? You know, we'll, uh, why don't we travel together? And uh, I suppose uh, he, he took his time, yes. Uh, and then we had a long-range sort of relationship because um, it was seven years, basically, before we ever married. Wow. So uh, Because he was overseas. So, yes, he'd left. He was overseas. We, you know, corresponded and so forth. And then he came back and he was on his family property and, and I went overseas. Oh. So uh, when he came back, I was going over more or less. Wow. Yes. So where did you go? When I travelled mm. overseas. Oh, I spent uh, 19 months and I travelled all around Europe. I did 17,000 miles in those days in a little mini minor. What? Yes. It was, wow. It was, uh, By yourself? Uh, no, I had uh, another girlfriend or two two others, but we started off just two of us. And uh, uh, yes, we travelled a huge distance and saw lots of wonderful things. And, so and we we said uh, we said we wouldn't pick up any hitchhikers. Uh, that'd be dangerous. And uh, within a month or so, we picked up our first <laughs> a, a German fellow who took us all up into. Uh, Scandinavia and Lapland and we crossed the Arctic Circle and we stayed on a farm because of him and uh, that was an adventure because we were put in the house with them. Everyone was in the same house. We were all in the same little room. They pulled trundle beds out and that's where we slept. And uh, it was customary to take your guests and have a sauna with them. <laughs> My friend and I were terrified we'd be taken by the young son for a sauna. But, <laughs> but instead he took uh, Jürgen, the uh, German guy that we'd picked up. So that was an adventure. But, wow. Uh, so did you buy the, the Mini Miner when you got, did you start in London? And yes, I start, we started in London and uh, we bought the Mini Miner when we decided to travel. Um, as well as that, we worked. I worked in a department store in London. I uh, worked out of London at Henley on Thames in a little inn where they gave you accommodation, and both my friends were there with me. So the three of us were there, and then I worked in Scotland, um, looking after uh, the children and uh, going out from Edinburgh out to their um, their farm. Wow. Which so is like sort of governessing or, or caring. Uh, yeah, guess. caring for them mostly. Yeah. Or cooking a meal or had to go out and shoot the rabbit and cook jugged hare and all that sort of thing. Cook what was it? They called it jugged hare, like a rabbit. Yeah. Um, and it's a stew, really. Yeah. What's yes. the jugged mean? Don't know. Soup, jugged, chucked in a jug, boiled. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible. So how did you, the two, were they school friends or were they from Kanamala? Uh, no, one was from Kanamala. She was my neighbour, a bit older than me. She married an English fellow she met there at the, oh, wow. at the Angel Inn. And then uh, <laughs> uh, the other one was originally a friend of my cousin who, who had, uh, uh, was killed in a car accident. And she was travelling overseas, and I said, "Do you want anyone to travel with you?" And that's that's how we rolled. Wow! 
And had you always wanted to travel? What, would the um, decision to travel, was that supported by your parents? Oh, very much. Yeah. It's an education. Yeah. Yeah, it broadens your mind and uh, you stand on your own two feet and uh, you've got to make a lot of decisions there by yourself and you've got to be careful and um, no, they, they supported it highly. How long um, from when, like when did you, did you and this friend in Kanamala, had you been sort of hatching this plan? for a few years? Not really. No? It was all very quick and of course in those days we didn't fly. Yeah. We sailed. And so we sailed and uh, and uh, when we got to uh, Durban, South Africa, we, uh, we, we got off the ship and um, we hired a car with two other fellows and we drove overland to Cape Town. Um, so that was five days for the ship to get around there and for us to travel across by car. Wow. So we had had a wonderful, wonderful start and uh, we stayed in various localities in, in um, London, in and around London, moved around a bit. How long did it take you to sail back then from Australia? What was the, do you remember the transit I think time? It, I, th I think it was like five, five weeks. Five weeks, wow. What was the ship like? Was that an experience in itself? Yeah, the ship was fabulous. It was a P&O line in those days, and I guess I was lucky because we did know um, a person who was head of um, P&O, and he, uh, he got us positioned in perfect cabins and perfect, we were put at the, not the captain's table, but the chief officer's table, so. We weren't just labelled officers' girls. We were, but we were officers' girls in a sense because we had the best position and were invited to all their cocktail parties, from the high to the the lower members of the staff, plus all the passengers' activities. Wow! So we were very fortunate. How old were you when you went overseas? I I just can't remember. About twenty-two or three. Early twenties. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I just think that's incredible and incredibly adventurous back to be in your early 20s. I mean, I've travelled overseas solo, but I could fly and I could communicate back home with my family and friends. It would have been entirely different. No one would have known where you were apart from, I guess, a, an itinerary set by the, the cruise liner, really. No. No one, no, there weren't these mobile phones, you know, you can hardly go without a phone, even at my age. I can't, if I lose my phone, that's that's disaster. Yeah. Um, but we had no phones and uh, your, your family didn't know where you were unless you, until you wrote that aerogram um, or rang them up and you certainly didn't ring them up too often. And uh, travelling around Europe, I had the misfortune to, um, uh, although that was another challenge, I suppose, I had the misfortune to have an appendicitis attack in uh, Vienna. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, no, in Munich. Uh, after 10 days of beer festival, of course, what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> then I got to Vienna and ate apple strudels. So I ended up... <laughs> knocking on the door of this hospital and three nuns came out and giggled at us when we spoke to them because they couldn't speak English and we couldn't speak German. Uh, they took us in and uh, they then called a doctor to me and he could speak some English and 
he examined me and he said I had appendicitis and then he said um, you have to pay on front before you have the operation. Well, we sort of coped with all that because I had insurance. And I thought they'd put me in my bed for hours or a day or something, but they whisked me into the lift and as I went up, I didn't know whether I was going to heaven or hell because there was music piped throughout the, the hospital, you know, like oh. church music. And, and I thought, what's going to happen? I got up to the top floor and I was put on the bed and the next thing they were putting the gowns on me and took me down again and operated. The only one that could speak English was the anaesthetist. The surgeon just patted me and kept saying, good, 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 good. And wow. there I was. I said to my friend, Rosalie, please don't ring my parents till I'm conscious again. <laughs> and uh, there I was. They gave her a job. She would want to do secretarial work, but the language barrier was there. So they put her in the laundry, which was a bit of a different experience for her. And um, but they looked after her. The, the anaesthetist used to arrive every day and see me and, and give me fruit and cheese out of his pockets, packets of cheese and fruit. And then he'd go and see my friend Rosalie, see that she was all right. So she, how long were you in hospital then? So she got a job while you were in hospital. I was in hospital 10 days because I got sort of, I got bronchitis as well. Tell you, was it worth it, the beer fest? <laughs> Well, it was, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was an experience you won't forget. <laughs> no, it was so fun. That's right. Were you, I mean, a lot of people, that would terrify them now, you know, in, in a really connected world um, where they could probably, you know, have apps to help them translate and, and communicate. Were you ever, do you remember being scared? Apart, well, I mean, apart from going, I mean, yeah, you thought heaven or hell, but mm. um, well, how did you just deal with that? No, I, I wasn't ever scared of anything like that, really. I, I was a bit apprehensive before my operation, but uh, I just sort of went with the flow a bit, I think. I was more scared if it was the thought of someone following me or you know, robbing me or mm. those sort of things. And they happened, you know, but... but um, you got robbed? Yes, in, in uh, Finland we were robbed of all places. And we think it was possibly we made friends with these young guys on the boat, I think, going over from, uh, from England to, uh, to Belgium uh, with that car. And then we headed off and when we were in Finland, they said, come and you know, visit us and everything, and we did. And I think while they had us up in their apartment, um, the, the, I think one of them went down and robbed our car because things like all your precious photos, all your movies and things I'd taken, they all went and various things went. Oh, no. So they're like sentimental things. Yes, why, why they took them, I have no idea, but anyway. So back to when you first got the, the hitchhiker as a team in the car with the girls, what made you decide to take him? I don't remember what made me, made us stop to take him. Maybe we were talking to him, maybe we, he was going the same way and maybe we judged that he would be safe. 
And he was a lovely young fellow. And he did know how to travel and how to do it and how to approach people and ask them, could we stay at the farmhouse? Yeah. And somewhere along the way, oh no, he came right to the, um, he came right to the Arctic Circle because we, we had a, a sauna there on by a lake and they were given the birch branches and so forth to smack yourself with as you're under this hot water and then you run to the lake and hop in. <laughs> and the, the contrast is uh, mind-boggling, you know. Well, it just about made me pass out. Um, likewise to a few people, I think. Yeah. But that was an experience, see. We like to, when you travel, you've got to, it's got to be experiences. Yeah. But your whole life, I think you're collecting experiences, aren't you? And that's well, what makes it exciting and worthwhile. Yes, definitely. And so you're overseas for the, <coughs> these 19 months. Reed's gone over and he did his own trip. What was his trip? Was it sort of similar or uh, yes, had he done? Yes, it was similar. He worked around in various jobs. And, in um, Europe as well? Uh, n- no, not in Europe. But uh, he went on to... Uh, to Canada, yeah, and um, he worked in a ski village there, yeah, which he kept telling our daughter, one of our daughters, all about it, so that when she went over there, she went and got a job there. Love that, <laughs> Banff. Yeah, oh, Banff yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. So the whole time, so seven years. So, had there been there sort of obviously been a relationship that had. Um, a budding relationship at Charlotte Plains mm-hmm. once you'd started going to the parties together in the same car mm-hmm. and then Reed went overseas when he came back did he come back to Charlotte Plains no he didn't come back there to work um, his family had a property um, they'd drawn in a ballot his brother actually had drawn it where but um, up, up near Mount Coolin okay and so he, he, um, his brother was about to do his um, um, service in the army and was about to fly out. So he got the minister's consent that whilst he was away could um, <coughs> read, go onto the property and start developing it because you've got to develop your property for the first seven years or something. And, uh, you know, there's a block of land that you've drawn and won and you've got to start doing the improvements. Yeah. So Reed was permitted to go there while his brother Ian wasn't available. His brother Ian, what war was that? So that was um, Vietnam War, yeah. Yeah. And so have you, you, the whole time you're still talking? You're still oh, re- yes. writing letters or yes. phone calls? Yes, writing letters, yeah. phone calls, yeah. Yeah. And is it a long distance relationship or is it just talking to each other? Ah, oh, no, it was a, it was a long distance relationship, I guess. Um, yeah. But you know, we went went out with other people, and so then you've gone overseas, and and he's obviously still staying in touch throughout that whole time as well. Um, when I was in hospital there, because I was fairly miserable when I got bronchitis on top of the operation. I then spent the rest of the time being a bit miserable and crying at the fact that there was no letters from him. So he was having a bit of fun back here then, I think. So he, you know, he um, forgot to write so frequently. So 
that made me a bit sad, but um, you know, life goes on and you just carry on and pick it up again. Had your girlfriends beside you. Girlfriends yes. are the best for that kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Rosalie sounds amazing. She's just in the laundry getting a job to be near you in the hospital. Mm. Uh, so then, okay, back. you're back from overseas and do you go home to Charlotte Plains? Um, yes, when I came back from overseas, I travelled the last part of the um, journey. I was with another, uh, with a New Zealand friend for the first part. And I was supposed to sail back, but I changed that to flying and I could go to lots of different spots along the way. I'm trying to think where I went, probably Paris, Athens, um, into um, India and then across to, I was supposed to go to Kathmandu, but it was close to Christmas and you couldn't, they could get you in, but they wouldn't guarantee they'd get you out before Christmas. Um, and then I went to Bangkok and, you know, Hong Kong, Singapore. All flying. Yep. Wow. And, and then Bali. And was this with this New Zealand friend, or was this with another friend? Yeah, well, as as from as from uh, Bangkok, I think it was, um, we parted, and New Zealand, my New Zealand friend and I, because she was going in a different direction, and so I was alone from there, doing Singapore and and uh, Bali, yeah, Bali, yeah, Hong Kong, yeah. Wow. Bali. So it was a bit frightening in Singapore. I had one man follow me a bit and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And was that late at night then? Did you...? Uh, I'd, I'd met him. I'd met him and, uh, oh. and uh, he sort of sat me down and took me, took me for a meal and a drink, you know. So like some of those old sugar daddies, he started at one of his tails and tried to fill me up with gin. And uh, I thought, I'll show you. So I I had the gin too, but I still had my senses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know that you actually spent 10 days uh, in Munich and, and however many months in Munich. No, no, preparing. no. So I, I got up and ordered a taxi. Somehow he got into the taxi, which wasn't very exciting, at which I sort of pushed him away and said, you know, not interested in this sort of thing. I jumped out of the taxi somewhere along the way, told him to let me out, and then I ran down these buildings where um, where I was staying. Mm. Because I didn't know the people really I was staying with either yeah. very well. Yeah, it's terrifying. So that was a bit that was that was frightening. Yes, you're looking behind you. <laughs> yeah. And um, then in Bali, I got Bali belly just before I flew into Sydney. But uh, someone gave me some magic pill and that helped me on board and where I went. And then I went straight back to uh, Kunnamulla, to yeah. Charlotte Plains. And uh, I can't remember, I was probably home a few months, I guess. I, I, then I must have gone off working again. Working. Um, I worked all round about through uh, word of mouth, basically, and in those days for me, I'd done Tresillian nursing in Sydney. Like like uh, Mothercraft or um, Karatani, uh, they were called. That. They still do that training. It trains you. It's it's not a uh, a general nursing training. It's training you with uh, infants and children. 
uh, from the time they're born to kindergarten age. And it's a lot of the training is uh, to do with uh, feeding problems with babies. So you, if you work in the hospital part, uh, you're really helping a mum that comes in with a new baby and can't establish the baby on the breast yeah. and really wants to breastfeed. So you're there trying to help them, which is a little bit strange really when you think you've never had children and here you are telling these poor women what to do and how to do it. But I guess, you know, we were trained and uh, knew what we were supposed to be doing yeah. and telling them. And, and uh, so my work took me around uh, just working with families. Like I had one family in Mount Isa I looked after their one job in Sydney with five that I looked after sole charge. And then I had various jobs all around Brisbane, all over the place. So I kept doing that. And that gave me the life I was sort of, I suppose I wanted because I could at least go home to Charlotte Plains when I didn't have this work, you know, I could plan it so that... To I, be home for must, like to, yes, to go home and muster yes, or... Yes, to go home and, and, and help with something. Yeah, mm. that's amazing. And so what what would happen next? Were you, was Reed back on the scene or did you meet up again um, or go, did you end up settling back at home? No, um, no, we met, met up, up somehow and uh, he was up on the property then, you know, working his for his brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess uh, he must have said, you know, come up and visit me. Yeah. So I drove up there and that was it. <laughs> That's amazing. I drove up there and saw him, yes. Well, that was, yeah, after seven years. That was it? Yes. Well, we always joke about it a bit, that he was a bit slow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you stay at Mount Coolin then working at Ian's while no, you I got married or? No, I didn't. No, we'd, um, he, he uh, decided that um, he would leave there after a certain time. Uh, he didn't know what he would turn to that he'd leave the bush and he'd come down to the city and so we really had uh, when i was married we really had a very um tricky uh time because uh he was just starting off he he did his proper license with real estate he got into a reputable real estate firm and uh started selling and he'd never done anything like that and uh I was at a bit of a loose end. I didn't have a clue what I'd do. Couldn't keep doing the same nursing work in the city? Well, I could have. It just didn't come up. And then one day my in-laws said to me, Tupperware, that why don't I go and meet them and get a job? I said, no. I knew nothing about Tupperware to start with. And I knew nothing about selling. But they started me off and uh, I... I must say, if I was talking about something I believed in with in their products, I had a lot of success selling it. So Reed was very proud of me and pleased with me. Yeah. And then I went and door knocked for our house. So we lived three years in three years in Brisbane, and we didn't have we rented a place for a while, several places, and then we said, oh, we should buy something with first home 
owner and all that sort of yeah. thing. So um, I decided that if I presented myself well and either had a card or something, I would knock on the door and uh, say to the people that I was looking for a house in the area, did they know of anything? Not are you selling your house, yeah. but did they know of anything? And I met so many different people that would say, oh, Mrs. Jones down the road there, she might be selling, or Mrs. So-and-so over there, she's, she's getting old and she'll probably be moving into a home. And Mrs. Such-and-such, -such, well, she's, she's here and she's in hospital. And so I went from there and I found our house in uh, Turinga. Wow, how many days were you door knocking? Oh, I probably did it for a couple of days, two or three days maybe. That's incredible. And found someone and then um, researched that and then found the solicitor of the person because that person was in hospital and, uh, or home or whatever. And she'd lived there, a bit like me, she'd lived there for 70 years or something. So she'd been there all her life and here she was where she was. And so she wanted to, to sell, sell it, it just yeah. by amazing circumstances. And um, we didn't have anything to do with it. We just let the solicitor, you know, speak with her and whatever. And that's how we bought the house. Wow. And so while you, you and, and Reed are starting off and getting married and, and moving to the city, are you still going home to Charlotte Plains? Like, is there sort of talk between the two of you that eventually that will be where you end up? Or do you think that your younger brother will end up there? Oh, no, I thought my younger brother would end up there. Yeah. Yes, I thought he would end up there. And so Reed didn't want to get involved um, with other family, you know, members, unless we had ownership of a certain amount or whatever. So yeah. So we didn't go down that track. So that door was kind of closed, which is why you went to, yeah, go and spend yeah. the time. And I guess I was, I guess I was really naive too, because um, whether it was the way of, of people in those days, but I decided really that you just, uh, whatever your husband decided where the work was going to take him, you went. Mm. But it's not like that now, right. is it? It's, um, it's quite different now, you know, people. The female usually wants to know, well, where's that? And no, I, I won't live there or, or whatever. But I was just prepared to go wherever Reed went. And that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds to me that you're someone that knew your own mind as well. It wasn't that you didn't have your own opinions. I did, but no, no, I was much shyer and quieter then. I was much, uh, I did have difficulty making decisions, but maybe that's why I just went along with it and ended up at, at the property at Plain Creek, south of Charters Towers. Yeah. And so three years in Brisbane, and then uh, the family bought that property, Reed's family, and they said, would he like to manage it? Uh, with the prospect that eventually he could own it. Uh, so we, over many years, we worked at it and we bought the family out in the end. Wow. And I think it was probably to be exact, I think about 27 years we were, we were there. 
so all the children were born oh, in the north cool. and um, educated um, on uh, School of the Air, uh, Cairns Radio Branch, first of all, and then School of Distance Ed, which was centred in Charterst House, and uh, then boarding school. And when you said before about now, you know, it's quite different with people with decision making or, you know, uh, women making, you know, not necessarily just following what, you know, the husband was definitely the key decision maker, I guess. Mm. Would that be fair to say? Yes. I think so. Yeah. And then did you ever wish it was different or now that, or was it terrifying when Reed did die to then be left to be the key decision maker? I can imagine that that would have been quite overwhelming. Just full stop grieving the loss of a husband, and then I think so I think I've, over the years I've become stronger, and you have adversities, and you have problems throughout your your married life, you know, with families and children, and all sorts of different things that come into play. But that makes you stronger, yeah. your character stronger and uh, resilient um, to cope with the next problem. And so I became quite. Um, independent. I've always been quite independent after I got married, but sometimes a little bit unsure of things, but it is nothing for me to drive from from up near uh, Charters Towers to Toowoomba for the children's sports dates or carnivals or something by yeah. myself, Yeah, you know, and back again a thousand kilometres. Well, it's a thousand kilometres from there to Charlotte Plains, so there's nothing for me to do that. It's still nothing. I go from Toowoomba to uh, Charlotte Plains in eight hours. Unless I get tired. If I get tired, I pull up on the road. Yeah. So I, I've, grown, I've just grown stronger through um, the adversities or, or, or various things that have happened. I've, it's uh, made you more determined. I guess I'm quite a determined person. I guess I like to um, uh, be on top of things and have it have it right in my mind. Otherwise, it becomes very stressful. Um, and I think you can always, all through life, you can improve yourself. Yeah. All through life, is is there's room for improvement. So I set little goals in my head to improve myself and, and... In what ways do you mean? Like, what were the, some of the goals that you set to do that? Oh, it's a bit hard to, to reminisce and yeah. Yeah, articulate about that. Um, just uh, finer details, I suppose, with things. To be maybe of a stronger uh, personality, not to be so shy if you have to uh, do some public speaking. Um, you know, to present yourself and articulate properly and clearly um, and make sure you do that every time and uh, just consider that those people in the audience are uh, just like you. Yeah. Who says that anyone is any better? That's right. I think getting out of your own head yes. and realising that, yeah, we're all human, we're going to make mistakes. So That's right. It takes the pressure off you to be perfect or do things right and yeah i think that self-improvement is at its heart is getting to know yourself isn't it and then it being confident to just be who you who you are 
mm. uh, rather than trying to be a version. Rather than be something yeah. else, exactly. Yeah. What were were there any things that you found really helpful along the way to to build up that confidence, like other people, or did you read you know read books or learning different things like that? Very early on in my early twenties, or maybe way way back when I was eighteen. And I used to go to the uh, social activities and balls and so forth in Kunnamulla, which were plentiful in those days. And I was very shy and quiet and a friend who took me under her wing and um, was about four or five years older than me, said, you know, don't be shy, just be yourself and um, more or less what I've just said, that uh, just be confident in yourself and, and, and uh, they're no different to you, so... Yeah, I think having a support network, right, makes it a lot yes. easier to, and, to and springboard I've, that. If you remember certain things, don't you? And see, so that stuck in my head all my life when I was 18. And she probably didn't think anything of it. No. Yeah. She wouldn't have a clue she's even said it. Yeah. But... Um, and it's such a small thing and it costs nothing either. No, exactly. Exactly. So you and Reed were married... For how many years? Ah, right. Reed and I were, were married for um, 40 years. We had our anniversary celebration um, at uh, Malula Bar when um, he was sick. It was more of a, a, a party and celebration, really, for him because he was just started uh, treatment for a brain cancer, brain so. tumour. And so my daughter, one of my daughters, Anita, decided that uh, we'd uh, go for a little boat cruise and ask some friends. So she organised it all and it was our anniversary um, party and uh, it was all a surprise. So when we walked on board, I knew, but uh, Reed didn't. So he was just delighted. It was just a party to him. And uh, at this stage, he'd started losing control of his um, speech mm. and he'd um, he'd put different words into his conversation so he'd talk about uh, taxis for a while and a taxi could be anything from a pen to a taxi to a person to a car he'd look at the taxi there and I became quite good at interpreting and then he got chooks and uh, he said, this chook and that chook. And so he got up and made a speech and it was all gobbly, you know, and, and everyone just was very polite and stood and listened and cheered. And I stood by him and didn't interrupt him until he'd, he'd finished. And then I had to make a bit of a, bit of a speech. And, um, but one day he got annoyed with himself because, see, he could think of it in here, but he couldn't articulate it. He'd, um, and he suddenly got really angry and he said, these bloody chooks and chickens keep coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I said, get mad, Reed, get mad. <laughs> you can say it all correctly. Oh. So he knew. Sounds like you were such a nice, had a really lovely friendship to be able to... <laughs> Yeah, that must have been really tough on you, but to see the humour in things. You've got to keep a sense of humour. Yeah. If you don't have a sense of humour in life, 
you're done. Yeah, you're done. You're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah might as well be. You've got to have a sense of humour. All through the miseries, you, you find something to make you laugh. Yeah. I'm really sorry to hear that he had brain cancer. I can imagine that it wasn't a pleasant uh, illness to witness either. So. Mm, no, it wasn't. It wasn't, but we did everything. We took him, gave him the best chance because he was a... Um, um, he was a very um, sort of strong character, winner of all, you know. He, he liked to um, succeed and uh, have a go. And so we made the decision for him to take him to Sydney and he went to, to the uh, controversial brain surgeon, Charlie Teo. Mm. And Charlie Teo is phenomenally good. And he operated on him, an eight hours operation on this tumour and took 98% of it. But he told Reed that it would come back and he said, you know, and this is an, an incurable one. So um, we just went with that. Well, it gave him another six or seven months with us rather than say four weeks. Hmm. What was, was he, was it over years that he was sick? Robin, or no, in retrospect, that was a bit before we probably took it on board to realise that he started um, saying a few funny things, or yeah. um, uh, it started. He couldn't make a decision, mm-hmm. and then as it got closer, he he couldn't tell you whether he wanted fish and chips or steak. Uh, and I got cross one day and said, well, what are you having? Come on. He'd always say, whatever you're having. Yeah. And I would say, no, that's no good. What do you want? No, whatever you're having. Couldn't make a decision. So that was the first thing. Yeah. And then he got a bit vague and then he, he started to cover it up well by just saying yes and no. And you'd see men had sort of walk away from him after a while because... He went from a man who was a great community leader mm. and speaker and um, all these things and uh, great with his uh, discussions on any world affairs and politics and he couldn't do any of that anymore. But he'd try and cover up, see, and so he knew and he could tell us one day that I've just tried to, to fix something in the vehicle and uh, I don't know what's wrong, but I suddenly realised that it's a very simple little thing, but I can't do it. It just must have been, or what was the experience like for you once you realised that it was a brain tumour and that he was unwell? And I mean, obviously these conversations about he's got four weeks, now it's six, you know, he's got six months more. How do you, I mean, your life is going to look different. You start, when do you start to realise, well, you know, maybe Reed's not going to be here for as long as I thought we might have? Or did you even pay that any mind? Um, I did think about it from time to time. How will I cope? Yeah. How will I cope without him to make some of the bigger decisions on the property, etc.? How will I cope with these things? But I think you become so busy when you're looking after someone who's quite ill and you know as time goes on you're doing more and more you know helping them in and out of bed and uh, their legs go on them what was one of the first things and so 
stopping him from falling over or swinging him around when he was going to either the balance or putting him in and out of a car. And, um, so you're just so consumed with the present. Yes, so consumed with all that and organising facilities and things to have in the home. Uh, we had a unit and he'd have his uh, chemotherapy and radiation regularly and then we went home and I got a um, two-seater um, buggy that we could go out in so that he'd be able to sit beside me when we mustered and feel part of it. We'd have a few blues though because he'd say, over this way, over, 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 <laughs> over, as the sheep are going out, but I see the ones here a bit more and I go this way. No, 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 over this way. <laughs> and then in the end he'd say, oh, bugger you, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't do as I was told. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so. Well, I guess just that adjustment. The adjustment, um, oh yeah, the adjustment is is difficult, and it's 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 more when they're gone because it's organisation, organisation, you know, and right to the last bit, you know. Um, as it happened, we sold Plain Creek up north. The settlement day was the same day as his funeral. Oh my gosh, Robin! So, which meant that he was getting closer and closer to. To passing away and I put him in the Kanamala hospital and they were excellent looking after him and I had a friend there who'd go there every meal in between working and and she'd either feed him or talk with him or whatever and I drove a truck up to to Plain Creek and one of my sons had another truck and we had to load all our belongings from the sale of Plain Creek, which was because I'd never moved my furniture from up there. I walked into Charlotte Plains down here with my mother's furniture. Oh so I, everything was still up there. So we had to load everything. We didn't even have time to sort documents and burn them all. We just loaded it and brought it all down to Charlotte Plains. So. Every day went by and I'm ringing the doctor and ringing the friend to find out what do you think, how close is he to going? I want to be back there before he does anything like that. Meanwhile, he's supposed to have lost all his faculties and you know, not understand who you are and all that sort of thing, but that isn't so. And the day we drove back, we sort of drove half the night and got home at two in the morning and went to bed and then had a shower and went straight into town. They said, oh, he won't know, you know, who you are. He's doing a lot of sleeping. He's just there near the nurse's station, etc." So I walked in and touched him and he opened his eyes and said, oh, Robin, Robin. So that was very rewarding for me yeah. uh, to know that I wasn't forgotten and to know he he knew so that was a revelation and um, I was with him and uh, he uh, and uh, a little while later he passed away so he was able to be told that the property was sold well and that uh, we were fine and uh, 
one son got there um, and uh, my son Robert and myself were there when he died and my other son was still coming in his truck and uh, my uh, daughter um, she was bringing something else and the other daughter was in town so mm. yeah so those things seem strengthen you up too but make you very miserable mm. but there's no good sitting down and uh, crying for too long you've got to get yourself up and you've got to um, go with things and learn what to do so as it was I went there for four years without him before that because there was drought in the north and drought at Charlotte Plains so when I brought my brother out of his share uh, he was in New South Wales and said he wasn't going to come back to the property and my mother had passed it on equally to both of us um, so I said well I'll buy you out so I went down to Charlotte Plains and when it was in the grips of the most horrific drought and um, Reed was in Plain Creek at Chartist House with the most horrific drought so that was for four years so we had so a big phone bill <laughs> back to being long distance again I had to learn from all the people I'd either grown up with or, or respected I'd ring up some men that I felt I had good rapport with and felt um, at ease with I didn't think I was stupid when I asked them some questions um, I had a lot of help with that and I had to sell sheep and buy sheep and, and understand all the shearing again all those things and the cattle um, so that that made me grow up because everything had been left to read when we were at Plant Creek. Reed made all the decisions and you know I probably yeah. turned turned off half the time you know We'd, he'd talk about things but I didn't have to make the decisions so well, you, you don't not, pay as much attention do you? No and you would have also had things that you had your mind on as well. That's right. So yeah but that's incredible it's almost like a, a four-year degree getting ready <laughs> getting ready for life you know a four-year degree well that'd be a good one to put on the wall <laughs> <laughs> but I mean what you know baptism fire you know yes true true it, it tested it tested me it was good good for me so therefore when he passed away I was um, you know prepared to, to carry on. If I hadn't had that, I would have been a bit panicky. Yes. Well, it would have just been a much larger adjustment. Yeah. I guess what you're saying. Yeah. It still would have been. I mean, I don't, I don't say that to diminish. I can't imagine what you went through, Robin. I just think you're incredibly strong. Oh. And thank <laughs> well. you for sharing about that because it would have been such a painful part of, of life. Yes. Well, it was. It was. It still would be. You know, I, I've, I've, I've got four amazing um, adult children that um, assist me one way or another especially now as I get older tell me what to do <laughs> I tell them where to go <laughs> that's um, the thing do you are you now just so used to making decisions by yourself that it, it is difficult it would be difficult 
to lose any independence, I imagine. It, 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 it is difficult. It, 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 it hurts at times, yes, but I'm not stupid enough to... I realise, you know, that you've got to do this for the well-being of everyone, everything. You know, people can hold on to positions for far too long as they get older. And it's a different thing, though, when you do get older because you find you're doing this. But, yeah, once you make up your mind with things and, and you adjust little by little, I guess, as long as you're not pushed and hurried mm. when you're older, I think, and you've got the time to make those decisions. But I think at any stage you've got to... No one can make a decision for you, can they? And if you try and rush someone or no. hurry them along, it's a recipe for disaster. That's right. And I think as well when you were saying before about you just have to get back into life, I think my experiences of grief have been that it is really hard, like after a funeral, because there's something to plan, 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 organise. And everyone, that support network, everyone comes together in, yes. that, in that hour but yes. the, actually the darkest hour is once everyone's gone back to their lives and your life is so exactly irrevocably changed but no one's no one worries well, about it well everyone else's life is just moving on and yes. you think you're looking out and the world looks the same but it feels completely different it is it is that's right and those are the times probably you need to remember people or say to yourself you know well that person down the road needs you to ring now um you know, it's three weeks since you were there, perhaps. Yeah. It'd be nice to just speak to someone, speak to the person. Did you feel like you had to do a bit of that, like to look after yourself, to to reach out to people, just to stay in touch? Yes, I suppose I did a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I did. That's tough. Like, I mean, mm. I mean, I mean, necessary, I think that just shows your strength, but I think um, it can be hard to to ask for what you need. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the hardest thing now was a, for country people, uh, when you're, you know, you, you own this land and, you know, have these four adult uh, children. <laughs> um, we've le we left our succession planning a little bit late for one reason and another, and we were just coming to Brisbane to do that when, when uh, Reid got ill. And uh, now it's all up to me. And I've got two boys and two girls and I have to decide what I can do to make it fair and equal as yeah. much as I can. Yeah. Um, so that's always a bit of a, perhaps others would find that if, if they're at that stage, uh, it can be a bit of a heartache. It can be um, confusing. It can be stressful. Yeah. No doubt once the decisions are made, you don't have as much stress anymore. And that's where I'm at. Yeah. Do you um, ever talk to read, you know, in your own mind to, sort of, to, to feel that support? Because I can imagine going through that and making that decision alone would be tough because, you, you know, it's all on you. There's no, well, we, you know, there's no mm. we to hide behind. Mm. It's, mm. it's you, isn't it? So Yes, I do sometimes. Um, <laughs> we've got a station cemetery and that's all part of our tourism. I share the cemetery with my visitors 
that's one of the points I take them to visit. And if they don't want to come into a cemetery, that's all right. They don't. But 99% uh, come in anyway because there are six headstones there now. So uh, my mother and Reed are both there side by side. And they used to get on very well, so I know they'll be having a good old laugh or a good, good old, old scowl at yep. something, but um, <laughs> they're there together. And uh, we've got a drover and we've got a cook and we've got the first owners of Charlotte Plains when it was 385,000 acres. So, yeah, I'm up there frequently, but um, I have a bit of a chat to him when I do the garden or something like that up there, try and spruce it up and uh, I also tell people a few funny stories you know that have happened there uh, like my neighbor's um, son when he was only about eight he was at my mother's service which was just family at that stage my mother's ashes were there and the minister had the box and suddenly in the middle of her saying something this little voice piped up and said how did they fit Mrs Nagel into that little box <laughs> Just as we were getting miserable and we all laughed and everyone went on. His sense of humour again. Isn't that wonderful? The innocence of children. So, you know, so cemeteries are good comforting places too. That's right. Mm. Well, Robin, I'm conscious of the time, so yep. I'd love to hear more about the history of Charlotte Plains. So let's book it in for Saturday. Mm -hmm. I'll see okay. you at Kanamala. Good. Uh. All right, I'm back with Robin Russell at Charlotte Plains east of Kunnamulla. We've got a nice wind here this morning. So after meeting in Toowoomba, I went further west. Robin has driven herself out. I mean, I've got to say, massive drive. And uh, I'm 29 and I felt very exhausted after the drive out here, Robin. And uh, I didn't have a float or anything and no tyre troubles. But you've uh, had a couple of flats and a few issues along the way, but yes, you've made it. That's right. Hello again, Megan. Yes, I I did have a few little hiccups, but I suppose it's a way of life to me. I, I do find it a little bit tiring, and my children all pleaded with me to stay in um, St George last night, so I did the right thing and didn't carry on in the dark. Yeah, well, <laughs> you did get there at 9pm, so I think good call. Yes, 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 yes. That's right. And especially at that Bolland part. I mean, no disrespect to people at Bolland, but oh, that's a bit of a, a rough part uh, of the drive. Uh, uh, well, people always say, what on earth's in there off the road? You know, they don't uh, know to explore a little bit further. Here we are, only I'm... four kilometres off the highway, and we can offer them the great artesian baths. So That's right. You know, um, they can sit in, have a choice of 11 bathtubs. So there you are. <laughs> <laughs> and hear all the history. That's right. Don't, keep, don't turn around. Don't be dismayed. If you get to Boland and you think, uh-oh, no further, keep coming. <laughs> anyway, so from talking the other day, Robin, it occurred to me that yours is a very circular story. You know, you grew up here at Charlotte Plains and then when you left, you know, there was so much that happened to you. Well, it, it all started here, I mean, meeting Reed, but then um, going off travelling and then your nearly 40 years at Plain Creek before you came uh, and, and also time in Brisbane and then coming back here alone while Reed was still looking after Plain Creek. And I just think that the Robin that obviously grew up here would have been very different to the Robin that came back. Would you say that you had to have that time away to become ready to? I, I think so. I think I grew from a very shy child with a strict upbringing um, and a silver spoon in my mouth, I guess. Um, 
to a more confident uh, older lady, but uh, it's been a progression along the way. Um, and uh, I think all the different things that shaped my life were the travel and the training of um, things. And uh, our marriage uh, of, uh, well, it would have been our 50th wedding anniversary just the other day, but we didn't quite make that. So um, all those things shape your life, don't they? You've got ups and downs. That's right. Uh, everyone has them. I guess I've grown in uh, determination and perseverance. Yeah. You never give up. And we have had... Uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, knockbacks uh, during those, during my life, I guess. Um, the uh, tourism of recent has ha had uh, quite a, a boom and it's been a success story. So it's uh, given me more confidence. I even went and spoke to Macca today, a thing I'd never do. But as I was driving along the road today, as when you say you're driving along these straight stretch of roads, you're getting a bit bored and you've thought the same thing over and over again. And suddenly I heard Macca. Someone was talking about tag along tours and big now, things Macca, they do. Is he a local radio uh, Macca agency? On radi Macca yep. on radio. Yep. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. I'm just, <laughs> I don't know Macca. Oh, you don't know the Macca on radio. He's on, he's on every uh, weekend on okay. Sunday. So I rang in and much to my amazement, I got on and I said I was driving and I would go out of range. So they pushed me forward. And uh, I really only had time to tell him that's what I was doing. And we'd won a grey uh, nomad uh, gold award um, for the treatment of the grey nomads and for their product here. And, uh, and tell him about the sheep, the cattle and the drought. And there it was. So. I've already had two people um, message me saying they recognised me, recognised my voice. I'm not quite sure what it does. It used to shake terribly at ICPA conferences if I had to get up and I was a delegate at those conferences. But see, that's one thing that shaped my life too, dealing with children and the Isolated Children's Parents Association. So we all have things that uh, lead us in one direction or the other for, you know, so it's it's interesting, I guess. Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of that is almost forced confidence. You know, you have to learn sink or swim, isn't it? And with the tourism side of things, can you explain to us what led you to start that? I guess what led me to start it was that really the droughts back in the 90s in um, the north when I was at Plain Creek, our property, I wondered how on earth could I help? what what could I do and I really don't know what was the first thing that led me into tourism uh, first of all I took myself cold turkey right up to the peninsula selling uh, limited edition prints and I had to present myself with my business card and approach um, people and try, try and sell my wholesale prints to generate a little bit of income and what kind uh, of prints did you have? I you? had a lot of bird prints in those days. There were a lot of um, really well-known artists. And uh, so uh, they were quite popular yep. and I sold quite a lot. Then I, at the same time or just after that, perhaps I started the uh, tourism at Plain Creek because we're only five kilometres off the highway. And I thought that um, perhaps this would be... Uh, something good to do. We, we we looked out on this big, huge expanse of land and you'd go, wow, 
isn't Australia a big country? And perhaps we could say this to international visitors. We had an old schoolroom, so I set that up as uh, like a uh, sleeping cottage. Uh, we hosted them all the time and provided meals. Uh, we did uh, musters of cattle. We showed them how, what uh, the animal husbandry is all about, um, um, branding the cattle and earmarking them. We let them participate. We had Japanese groups. We uh, did fencing with them and the wow. poor fellows, they got blisters all over their hands. <laughs> and then we took the auger and went down to the and showed them how easily it was done rather than put them on a crowbar. <laughs> they were all economic students, so they, they thought this was a little bit below them to be uh, doing these manual tasks. But we won uh, hosted accommodation awards and perhaps Reed and I had a, a way of looking after people. He was very good. Yeah. And uh, perhaps we just had a way of... Uh, doing it and we won awards so I said well if I can do it there I'll uh, do it at Charlotte Plains which is what my family always said and they of course challenged me one of them especially said you'll never do this mum you won't make this succeed so um, that person is a little bit like me he's got that winner um, gene in him he has to <laughs> he likes that challenge and I'm a bit like that so I've he proved him. I've proved up. him wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think she graciously uh, accepts now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, did Reed keep the tourism side of things going up at Plain Creek as well, or no? No, it was a little bit of a shame. It was at the pinnacle of of really hitting its straps there, and uh, uh, none of my children were in the position at the time to be involved in it and uh, he had far too much to do. We had 4,000 head of cattle on the place and uh, he was kept busy. So we, he did it in just a small way, but yeah. it was a shame. So every time I reach that, that goal, I keep thinking, oh my gosh, I'm at the wrong end of my life or this is the wrong time, you know. <laughs> what am I going to do now? <laughs> but look, at I... I don't agree with that at all. What, don't you? You the, think I've got a few more years kicking in there yet? Absolutely, Robin. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Gold is just the beginning. That's right. You're gonna go, Charlotte Plains is going to go platinum. Ah, oh, good. <laughs> but I think it's uh, it's incredible, and I a theme that I've has been recurring is you know getting that off farm income as well, and just how necessary that is, or I guess. Um, the value of that, you know, during times like we, we've been in and continue to be in with drought. Yeah, I, I, th I think so. I, um, in those early years, you hear these stories that it'll take quite a few years to build up, which it does, it does. Um, but uh, people would be astounded as to what I net out of tourism now. Yeah. And so uh, whilst the sheep and cattle are very important, they're paramount, of course. Yeah. I, I, my bent is a little bit towards the tourism, but I, I don't want to take my finger off the stock either. I love the stock. Yeah. Yeah. So I love dealing with them. I think you've obviously onto a winner. Ah, sorry. That's my cat. He's <laughs> coming to say hello. Say, hey, Mickey. It's okay. He just is. You are I, naughty. No, I treat them like dogs and then they. But now I just want to pet No, you. he was he was attacked by the other cat who's, she's an old. 
cranky mm. old thing. But I, also I don't think to... I, don't, I don't think it's all in vain, having been here. And I think um, when people come here, whether it be with tourism or not, it's the difference between travelling and experiencing coming here because there is a lot of history. Yeah. There's a lot of agricultural type history, records and so forth. And uh, I would like to think that I could write a book, but I've got to have the time. I think you certainly could. I think that will be the next thing for you, Robin. <laughs> I look forward to reading it. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> well, Robin, I just want to say a huge thank you for letting me, meeting me in Toowoomba and then letting me come out here and visit Charlotte Plains. Uh, I look forward to coming again at a bit more leisurely pace so that uh, we can <laughs> do more of the history and uh, sit and, and have a gin or something maybe. Oh, but, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> but I'd you. like a more leisurely pace. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much. It's um, just been so lovely to hear about all of the way that life took you and uh, how you've coped. I think you're a real, really strong character and, and um, I think that a lot of people will find comfort in your story. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Megan, for the opportunity. And uh, always have a dream, won't you? Sometimes they're nightmares, but still have that dream and never give up. Thank you, Robin. What a conversation. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable. I look forward to my next visit to Charlotte Plains. I'll be back next week with another episode of How Do You Decide? Until then, make good choices. <laughs>